you're listening to Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Sean Azoparty. Uh, Sean has been making uh, comics in the UK under the titles 12 Hour Shift, uh, Dark Matters with uh, Douglas Noble, as well as more recent uh, series he's been doing for First Comics, who I didn't even realize were back, uh, Necessary Monsters. Uh, I think there's two volumes of that out, Necessary Monsters, and the follow-up uh, Murder Box, which is an amazing name. Uh, there's just something so complete uh, with that name. I don't know. Is it just me? Is Murder Box a great name? Um, I think it is. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I didn't come up with it. Daniel did. Um, Harry Robin. Um, thanks for having me on here as well. Uh, and I realized I probably missed a slew of other stuff um, that you've been doing uh, in the. Yeah, there's probably far too much to mention. I do kind of tend to, especially mini comics I do tend to churn quite a few of them out of which I forgot a lot of them over the years as well <laughs> um, now I met you at TCAF what was it 2010 uh, yes that's right uh, and at that point you had been traveling going to conventions and a fair amount so um, I think that's where you released uh, the 12 hour shift uh, which is kind of your pseudo autobio work um, and so I'm curious kind of what kind of stuff you're doing before that um, and kind of led up to that because I feel like there's a bunch of stuff in there that I may not know. Yeah, um, TCAF was actually my first um, foreign to uh, North America. I've never been um, there before. Um, 12 hour shift was a culmination of mini comics I've been making in a day job uh, and I've made up a, a kind of uh, avatar called Steve Jones because I didn't want to um, I didn't want to write well I was writing about the people in the job and I didn't want them to chase me down and uh, have me arrested for slander but leading up to that I've done a series of comics that called Grey Sky um, which I think up to that point I've made about four um, and it's a mid, sort of anthology there's some combination of things, sort of horror stories, a bit of comedy, which um, at that time I wasn't <laughs> really well known for. And coming up to the fourth uh, issue of that, I did a small, I think, eight-page thing, which led into a uh, 12-hour shoot. Okay. So, yeah. Um, was the other stuff as uh, dependent on personal autobio work? Or? No, I hadn't. I hadn't really done, I hadn't done autobio up till then, although I was massively interested in it. I was more interested at that time writing um, just, I would say, probably urban horror. I was living in a place that um, was uh, not too comfortable with, so I kind of wrote various stories around that. Uh, but I suppose there would be a bit of, biography in there um, there was still I think all the characters in them kind of had elements about of me in them but it wasn't directly writing about myself mm -hmm. was you said uh, you were living at a place at the time that was <laughs> yeah, the horror? that's you, you can't just leave that hanging there Sean. <laughs> <laughs> okay um, I lived in an area called in London North London uh, called uh, Tottenham which if I, at the time, I mean, Tottenham's 
a little bit better now. But at the time, it was kind of quite a, I wouldn't, wouldn't say so much rundown area, but it's a sort of place that you wouldn't choose to live in. You probably lived there because you couldn't afford to live anywhere else. And uh, we had this, the house ring, we had this car park at the back that people would, um, once have stolen a car, which was quite often, they'd drive them into the car park and then set fire to them. So quite often I'd wake up um, thinking it was midday and it was actually a car that was on fire in the car park. Oh, and Jesus. <laughs> and it, it was actually quite a well-lit building because you could go up the back with the car park on fire and then occasionally we'd have like a police helicopter and chasing some people that are obviously, I don't know, sold drugs or something. I don't know. Police helicopter lights in the back garden and police tramping around. So it was that kind of thing. So it was quite good material to write about uh, uh, the decay of city life, that type of stuff. Um, since then, the area's probably gotten gentrified substantially. Uh, yeah, it has actually. Um, you drive. Uh, I went there recently, and there's kind of like loads of flats and stuff like that. There's very West Green Road, which the area that I lived in on at the time, even that is slowly going through the process as well so yeah i suppose they take the cars and burn them elsewhere now <laughs> um somewhere there's a burning car <laughs> wistfully flaming away in the night sky um so tell me what was your kind of early interest in comics and who are some of the cartoonists um... oh goodness yes that, um i'm um i'm i've gone through quite a few phases i think uh when i was a youngster, um, I was, and youngster is going back to, I was thinking about this today, the actual dates, which is a bit difficult to remember, but being as I was born in 68, 67, I was knocking a year off my age there, um, mine was uh, growing up reading comics, stuff that you got from news agents, so in the UK it's like Beano, Dandy, that sort of stuff, uh, and then later on it was like um, action comic, and then bit which had this wonderful thing called Hookjaw, which was a um, a riff on Jaws, except it got like this hook at its jaw. What a surprise! And, uh, <laughs> I had, oh, UK, it, you guys are so witty and brilliant. I know, and it was a vicious shark as well, as you can imagine. Um, and uh, then later on, I think 2000 AD, I have an early memory of that. So there was those kind of things. Um, I also remember kind of like some Marvel, I don't know whether the reprints or not, because you don't know as a child what you're buying. So I'd have like um, Hulk and Spidey. I had a, a Hulk iron-on T-shirt transfer, uh, which I didn't do very well. So I had this Hulk T-shirt, but he had an arm missing, <laughs> which is a bit rubbish. Uh, so, yeah, that was kind of... And then kind of you go through to the teen years when I was 18... Uh, I joined um, this course for unemployed teenagers, um, which was set up to uh, teach comics. Um, and uh, two of the people there were that taught comics was Nick Abadzis and also David Lloyd. So okay, that was kind of in the heady days of. I think I did that if I was eighteen. It'd be like um, it'd be about. 86, 85? Yeah, 85, 86. So you can imagine the kind of comics were out at the time. 
you got um, Watchmen, Dark Knight. Nick um, must have been pretty young at that point too. He was, yes. He was. Um, he was working at. I think he might just started working at Marvel UK. Um, I'm not too sure. I think he had, but he was. Um, he is. He was kind of like really impressive. He had all this really design style and drawing and that. Um, as I say, it was set up for people that were unemployed like myself. And the idea was that you'd learn, obviously, to draw comics. And then at the end of it, we put this um, comic together that was called Deadline, which was before Deadline. Um, and that was actually my first, I would guess, my first published work. Um, and then at that point, I decided that I wanted to go off and be a fine artist. So I, it was like a 10-year gap where... Uh, did you go to art school or? I did actually. Yeah, it's a complete waste of time, really. <laughs> In many ways, it it was kind of like when I did, I had, um, I wanted to be a painter. Suddenly, I wanted to be a painter, um, but I had this idea that I could sort of fuse comics and fine art, which is wasn't a great idea, uh, not from my part, but from the fact that it wasn't very well well received at the time. Yeah. Uh, I think probably now there wouldn't be really an issue with it, but at the time it was like if you did painting, you did printmaking, and then that was more that was inspired by looking at a lot of Dave McKean stuff at the time with his kind of collage and photography and making wooden sculpture frame things. I found that massively inspiring, and I just wanted to do that. Um, but it, uh, as I say, so that went through. I did. Um, quite a lot of art education actually um, up to the point of doing it uh, what would I say an MA oh wow did uh, you finish which, your MA I did yes oh, okay it was um, I have no idea how I managed to finish it because it was um, I did it over the course of two years and the second year um, I lived in and run a pub with two other people so <laughs> I know it was, uh, it was um, a bit of a lost period. The whole of uh, that era, and um, we used to have uh, a lot of the staff from uh, college, which was Campbell. Um, they'd come to the pub and drink quite a lot, <laughs> um, and but it didn't help in sort of like you know bribing no. staff to get me a good pass or anything. It was still no. quite. a touch and go whether it was past or not I know it was like but yeah so anyway uh, I got to the end of that and it was um, I started to just get an interest again in comic making I think it took a couple of years to really get back into it um, and by I would say uh, 99 2000 I decided that I wanted to have one more go at making comics it's a sort of and to see how far I could go with it, uh, which would mean it, I was quite an old man then, in relative terms, I'd be 35 then. So. And it drew, drew you in? Hey, well, I kind of, I have a really spotty memory of the period, that period of time of what comics I was actually reading, but uh, I think one of the things that made me return to it again, I bought some I think that probably would have been reprints by 1990, but I bought some 8-Ball, um, and I just thought, yeah, I really like this, this is like, 
I didn't know anything about Dan Clowes um, at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of led me down a path away from my 80s influence, I guess, really. It's like, ah, this is more like the sort of stuff that I'm interested in, I guess. Um, and I... Uh, so once... I mean, he, I mean, there was him and there's kind of like other stuff that I was interested in. But it was actually trying to work out how to make a comic was really, really hard work. Um, before I, then, I probably made, I don't know, perhaps four pages of a comic, and now I'm going to make a whole comic, and I'm going to make lots of whole comics. And I had no idea how you do it. Um, so just fast-forwarding slightly, I had this day job, which I worked in a press-cutting agency, which I don't... It's, it's as exciting as it sounds. You basically were given loads of uh, news clippings. You had to stick them to paper and then photocopy them, and that's pretty much it. But the uh, one of the things is they'd got um, an internet connection, and um, so I started using my time wisely and did some research into how you make comics. And I spent most of my shift just sitting there because... In that time, there wasn't, I don't know, you could find stuff. There wasn't a massive amount online, but you could find stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I put out this call to say, is there any like-minded people? I think it was on one of those Yahoo message board things, which um, now it sounds really, I can't even remember how you did it. It was like probably dial-up or something, but it was, um, I sent out this message anyway, and somebody responded and said there's this forum called uh, Warrior Warren Ellis Forum, the WEF, mm-hmm. which pretty much changed everything for me, I suppose. I suddenly got in contact with a whole bunch of people that were based in London, uh, started meeting up with them. Um, it just kind of like opened up loads of stuff, really. Um, and in the meantime, I used the, I was drawing stuff, and I started to use the works photocopier like most people, I guess, do, did yeah. at the time, but, and just made my first comic there. So this would have been about 2001, I think. Okay. One of the, so inf- the first Grace guy. So. One of the influences I'm specifically interested in on your work is uh, Eddie Campbell. Yes, yes. Uh, I uh, wanted to talk about like that kind of impact, because I see like there's a point when reading through your work where he's strong and he kind of work through that and mm-hmm. you know come out of the end um, but I'm wondering what it, was it about Eddie's work that really hit you it's um I, I was trying to today I was trying to remember the, this is awful because some people have got a real clear memory of when they read a particular thing and how it impacted on them and sadly I haven't got a clear memory of when I read his stuff which um, but it was it was just um, reading I think it was uh, the very first um, King Canute crowd. Um, I've got um, I've got single one of the single escape issues, mm-hmm. and it was just this. It was just I guess very, just very natural storytelling. It was it was just somebody was writing at the time. It seemed like to me somebody was writing that's about their experience later on when I was a bit more read. I realised he was mythologising his experience, but to me it was all real. It's like, yeah, this is how it happens. It was but, something yeah. that really directly connected to your current experiences. 
I think, uh, I mean, obviously, I'm, at the time, I didn't drive a forklift or work in a seat metal factory, but there was that idea that you could write about, yes, you could write about your day job, you could write about the people around you, um, but still write something larger than that as well. And uh, rather than, say, before when I was really inspired by, I don't know, Swamp Thing or something, I, I mean, the, it's... Um, yeah, I, a bog monster is fine, but um, it doesn't really, <laughs> connect, doesn't really connect to my experience of working at the Although, looking at some of the people, that could be argued differently. But um, So, that was the yeah the initial thing, which is, yes, look, I can, I can look at my work situation, and yet yeah, I can extrapolate that into, into a, a comic form. And it, like you say, I was... A lot more influenced than I realised, um, even down to sort of like ha sort of hatching and things like that. And I think it did take me a while to work out. That, I mean, I don't think I was trying to directly copy him per se, but it took me a while to realise that you can actually be yourself in that in that process. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, and it, this is something that happens to a lot of folks. Um, where you have that influence that you kind of need to work through, and that's okay. Like, no one's going to have their, like, unique raw style pumping out right from the get-go. You kind of take it and filter it through your own lens. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, plenty of people doing it. It's a good thing. I mean, um, if, I mean, I do meet people that just seem to have sort of been born, is the wrong word, but seem to be natural cartoonists and have their own um, either style, perhaps not the word I'm looking for, because style gets used quite a lot, but they have their own unique approach that is straight from the off. Mm -hmm. um, they may not ever get developed from that, but it's, I often wonder how do you have that kind of look here around, I don't know, say, for example, Jim Woodring, his is very unique to me. I mean, I wouldn't know how to draw like that straight off. Mm -hmm. Having not seen any of his early stuff, I don't know whether he's developed from something or whether he's just always drawn like that. Well, I think uh, even with Woodring, like, um, there's a lot of uh, Justin Green influence in his early stuff. Right. Um, you're also not looking at his years of toiling away in animation. Oh, okay. Because he, sure. he worked in animation for quite a while in LA, um, even with like Kirby and Gil Kane at one point. Wow. Yeah. So. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, there's like well, a good like ten years that you you don't notice because it's all put away into something else. Sure. But, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, something very unique came out because there is no other kind of gem woodring. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. there's always more to the artist than than <laughs> what's necessarily on the shelves. Yeah, especially the ones that have buried their past by burning everything. Sorry, it's interesting because talking of, like Francis Bacon, who was always uh, destroying his work and burning it, and well, burning it metaphorically, I suppose. But, um, and just recently, there's a catalogue of more of his work has turned up and it must be really, well, he won't care because obviously he's dead, but it must be really galling to go to that much work to bury your past to, I guess, a 
appear original and it just comes back to bite you in the ass eventually. <laughs> oh well. That must be a nice thing about living in London is being able to go to all these amazing galleries and see. Yeah, it is. It's. Um, I, I do kind of... Um, I mean, I'll try to get as much as I can, uh, but um, to actually go to the kind of really major shows, I find it real pain now because they're so swamped with people. It's, and I, I kind of like to at least stand there for more than 10 seconds and look at a piece of work before being herded round like cattle. Yeah. But in, in a wider thing, yeah, of course it is. Um, for, for the duration of being in my uh, day job, I, uh, I was quite close to sort of like V&A, Natural History Museum, Science Museum. So I could actually walk down there on my lunch break. So I did that quite a lot and that was quite cool. So you could always go down, just spend time on bits. But I think kind of like living in it, any city, you can take it for, you can just think, well, it's there. I'll get around to it yeah. eventually. It's nice notes. On the, it's within the train road. But yeah, I did try to get out a lot because it's, it's all good stuff. Uh, probably the same here, people in Vancouver all about the hiking and don't ask me the last time I spent time out in the outdoors. Hiking? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I feel ill just thinking about it. Yeah, no, I'm like, oh, I got two cats to go home to and a bottle of bourbon. I'm fine not going out anywhere. Um, no. Now, thinking about your work and um, we're talking a little bit about Eddie Campbell and I'm curious about uh, with some of your autobio stuff, um, I feel like there's a certain process to it where you're um, kind of working out experiences. Because you say something in somewhere in one of the books where um, you don't really like to live in the past, uh, but you're looking at, at events in the past, and I'm wondering kind of how that juxtaposition works. Yeah, I, yeah you, I, I say I don't like living in the past, yet I spend a lot of time writing about it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm just a terrible liar. Um, yeah, I, what I've been trying to do with it is, is be in, I guess the early days of it was a lot of um, working out a lot of issues on the paper, a lot of spleen venting, that kind of thing. Um, and I can't remember, but somebody said to me, it's a bit, it, the current run of stuff I've done, I've done like six autobio comics that seemed to have taken far too long. Um, and the first one seemed very kind of direct in what I was dealing with. Um, and it seemed a bit shouty, I guess, or might have even seemed a bit needy. Um, but there were a lot of things that I was writing about that were quite, I don't know, personal. Um, say we're talking about cats. And the first one I wrote, which was uh, 100 Days of Winter, mm -hmm. Um, was part of a project where uh, Josie Long, who's a comedian here, set up this thing where you set up this project where you did one thing for a hundred days that so could have been anything juggling. So I decided to page of comics for a hundred days. Well, um, halfway through it, it all went tits up and um, it completely collapsed in on itself. But um, one of the things that happened during that was um, I'd moved. To the, my current residence, and I had to get rid of my 
had to get had to find a new home for my old cat. So uh, that was kind of like quite a stressful experience. So I was writing about things like that. So they're very much it was events in the present. Um, but later on, I written about something where I started to marry up the past with the present in a continuing timeline. And that was quite interesting that you could write about past, present together. Mm-hmm. So it started to give me a bit of space between the subject I was dealing with, uh, with myself and just the comic form, I guess. But having said that, I've been in every one of them. So. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, it's gone from being writing in the present and yes, I won't live in the past to just everything's been about like the past. Um, uh, I married up with the present as well. Mm-hmm. But part of that is, I think, I'm actually trying to commit it, perhaps sort of only interested myself, but I'm trying to commit it to paper because I'm getting to the point now where a lot of stuff is becoming very hazy. Um, I don't have, some people have very much a very solid connection with, I mean, I listen to quite a lot of people you interview, and they have a very clear recollection of childhood. It's a very important part of their work. Um, and, um, you know, when I don't particularly have that clear recollection, so when incidents do come along with some sort of clarity, I tend to marry them, marry them up with what sparked it off at the moment mm-hmm. and commit it to paper because they'll be gone, <laughs> <laughs> more or less. And I, I kind of get that idea where um, there's, I don't want to say catharsis with the work. No, um, there is a bit. You can yeah. say that's fine. I can live with that now. I never used to. I hated that when people say, oh, it must be very cathartic. I'm thinking, no. I'm just making comics, but now, yeah, I guess it is really. Well, I was going to say that it feels more process-oriented, where you're kind of, you're kind of stuck on something, and you're using that comic to kind of work out that idea or kind of resolve a situation. Um, maybe that is catharsis. I don't know. Yeah. No, I think I think it is. I think I think that is quite a good observation in a way. There are obviously um, technical. Um, processes that I'm trying, um, whether it's through illustration or whether it's through storytelling. Especially the storytelling. I've never been <laughs> I've never been the most confident writer, I guess. Um and these have definitely been an attempt to at least work out a sort of better way of writing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. One of the things I was interested in Twelve Hour Shift is I think the part I got the most of the book was when it kind of went from being kind of about your the mundanity of the daily experience to kind of uh this like idea of like what your coworkers are like and kind of their monstrousness uh specifically yeah. the one guy who had the stroke <laughs> edwin yes yes <laughs> actually most people that that's the reflection most people had on it which is once i started which I guess ties in a little bit what we were saying previous. When I started um, leaving the personal element, writing about myself behind, and actually did some character observations, that seemed to work for a lot of people. Which, at the time, when first time that said to me, I was thinking, "Curses! You know, <laughs> it's all about me. I don't care about these people." But obviously, after a while, I, it did give me something to think about, which is, as you say, writing about 
my ideas through characters rather than about myself was quite rewarding, mm -hmm. um, which I've tried to do a little bit of now more so. Um, but they, yeah, they were genuine people. I mean, Edwin at the time, I mean, he, he was, it was pretty crazy, but that did actually happen. And at the time of leaving the job, uh, I mean, this is quite a long time now, uh, 2003, he'd um, returned to the desk. It's incredible. It, it's, it, after having a kind of stroke, they just propped him up in the desk and, and carried on with the job. Jesus. I know. Well, with that, like, that, that particular um, place that I worked in was what we call very old school uh, uh, portrait, really, which is that you could be they, you could be drunk and you could go to the bookies, and as long as you turned up, they didn't really care. Um, it's changed slightly over the years because people want a more kind of modern feel to the home that they're paying huge amounts of money for so really smelling of whiskey and <laughs> going to book it really isn't what they're looking for <laughs> yeah. oh dear but yeah I mean I I continued doing that as I say that work as a day job for a long time and um, the last job I was in I was there for like six years and people going oh yeah you're going to write about this place and I thought no I've done that once Yep. I really don't, I don't, really don't want to write any more about porters. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, you, uh, you said that last job was the job for six years, and you were able to go freelance a number of years ago. Uh, it's a, I'd like to say it was. No, it's been seven months uh, since I've been freelance. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a number of years would be brilliant. Well, I could say that, couldn't I? Yeah, I've done it for a number of years. Yeah, I'm brazing this freelancing. I'm sitting here counting the money now, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a crown made of gold coins. It's... <laughs> Make it rain on your desk. <laughs> That's right. Um, but how... Okay, so it's been seven months. So let's do a check-in on how that uh, has been for you creatively. Oh, it's been great. I mean, I was... Today I was um, uh, I was idling and I was tweeting about how many uh, comics that I kind of made in the period of time since I returned to this, and I was just thinking if I hadn't the usual thing if I hadn't had a day job it would have been at least double that amount so um, I probably would have managed Dave Sims thirty thousand pages or whatever it was yeah but um, no it's been good uh, it's just that you have you have time to actually make stuff. And you have time to make stuff with a more considered approach, I think. You're not kind of like dashing home and then doing it and then it's evenings and weekends, which is, is fine. It's, uh, I've done it for a number of years and it's the same for a lot of other people. But it's nice to be able to wake up and just kind of like get on with it and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, one of the things... I love... Oh, go ahead. No, I was saying I love it. It's great. <laughs> Um, one of the things you've talked about in some of your, your comics is um, you used to smoke a lot of weed <laughs> and I think you stopped I did actually yeah no I smoked weed for up to I mean very very occasionally still do but yeah I smoked it for oh god yeah for since teenager 
um, which is probably why I've got a very poor memory. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's it been like um, since then um, for you to do your work, um, able to focus more? That that was basically it. There was um, I I mean, plenty of people make stuff and uh, and smoke loads and fine, but I was fine at the moment. There was this kind of graph whereby once I stopped, my productivity went up. Now there's a surprise. Um, and um, I think I've probably been my actual kind of heavy duty. It's been about like six years, seven years, something like that. And um, so, yeah, I made more stuff, and I wasn't sitting there. I wasn't sitting there thinking, "This is the biggest pile of doo doo I've ever seen." Every time I make something, I get yeah. very judgmental. When I've had a, when I'd had a bong, it was like, "No, this is awful," and all that sort of thing. There's less angst. There's <laughs> probably yeah, it's probably That's... less creative as well. I don't know. But you're more relaxed. It sounds like. Um, I guess so. Yeah, in a way. Um, yeah, I was talking to somebody over the weekend about it. Just that, um, no, I'm not, I, I loved it. I mean, having a smoke's great, but it's kind of uh, that point which you kind of very judgmental and very slightly paranoid, um, for whatever brief period. Uh, I don't miss that. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, that's cool, but um, yeah. I think probably once it got to sort of like smoking super strength skunk and stuff like that, it's just like, no, my mind's gone. I can't do this. I'm an old man. <laughs> Call me an ambulance. <laughs> now, your more recent work that you've um, been working on um, throughout this period is your uh, the stuff you're doing for First Comics, The Necessary Monsters, which is completely different from all the other stuff you've been doing. I guess it's more yes, it is. genre. Um, what's your connection with that and kind of how does that fit in well, for you? Well, uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's different. I mean, I'll do this. Uh, it's written by Daniel Merlin Goodbury, who, who not only is a good friend, he's a really good writer as well. And um, the connection, I guess, is that going back to when I did Grey Sky, uh, I did a couple of strips in that that were just uh, horror-based and I said to Daniel in 2000, my memory's terrible, 2007 stroke, well, we'd always talked about doing something together, as you do when you meet up at events and go to the pub and stuff like that, and you start forming friendships. And anyway, at some point, um, he said he'd write something, and uh, he wrote a script for the first one. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's got... Um, his connection has got uh, an agent, and at the time it was going to be, uh, at the time we serialised it online, uh, and it was two updates a week. Um, oh god, I can't even, I can't even imagine how I managed that. It was just, <laughs> I mean, two pages is nothing to most people, but it was like whatever was left of my hair was just falling out. It was like, ah, oh. even when you had a lead of like thirty pages, it, that just get well, anybody that just online comics knows no matter what leading you've got it just gets eaten up straight away yeah um the, the idea was once uh 
once we'd completed it, it was going to be collected and put out by uh, AIT Planet Lar, Larry Young. Um, but for some unknown, for some reason, uh, it didn't happen, and it disappeared into the wilderness for a while. We self-published it, and then um, Daniel's got an agent who um, said that he'd be interested in uh, putting it out um, under First Comics, which you said earlier you hadn't realised the return. Um, I knew nothing about them. The first I knew about them was that they were going to publish this thing. Okay. Um, so, as I say, it's, we'd completed it in 2009. Um, we self-published it and had that out for a while. And then they did a version in 2000. It's got the worst history ever, this. We'd done a version in 2010 and first invited us out to Chicago to do a little mini launch of it, which was nice. I've never been to Chicago. And um, we did this signing where we sat there and nobody knew who we were. Um, but we had all these people come and just go, ah, oh, first back, that's brilliant. Are you doing any badger? And I said, <laughs> what are people talking about? <laughs> coming up asking us, obviously, people with better knowledge of uh, uh, 90s comics would understand most of the things that first had originally. But yeah, yeah. it's at least five people were going on about Badger, which I know what it is, but at the time I was going, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, so that was odd but fun. Um, and then <clears throat> we, uh, at the time, because we made this a couple of years ago, we said, should we do a second one? So we spoke to Ken and said, would you be interested in a second one? Um, which said, yeah, fine, which we've completed that one, which is, as you mentioned, Murderbox. Um, and we're just making a third one now. I'm halfway through the second issue. So, But yes, it is different to the other stuff. One of the things I noticed, um, there's kind of a stiffness in it. And I was thinking about, especially with the backgrounds, it reminded me of like uh, something like Paul Kirchner's The Bus. Oh, I don't know that. Oh. So it was an old heavy metal thing um, where it's oh, just okay. these people at a bus stop. Uh, but it would be like really, you know, very purposeful, hard, straight lines. Um, mm. And it kind of reminded me of that, of that kind of, that element. But that doesn't yeah, there's um. But there was that, the very first one, yeah, I think there is a lot of stiffness in many of the elements in it, really. Mm -hmm. I was just drawing stuff, I had no idea what I was doing, um, in the sense that I had to draw, well, I mean, I could have drawn it however I liked, really. I mean, Daniel wasn't saying, you've got to draw it this way. Um, but I'd got in my mind to draw in a kind of, I don't know, I suppose, vertigo style, for want of a better example. Yeah. Uh, and um, I was having to draw stuff that, I mean, in my other stuff, I'd never drawn like helicopters and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, and it's like I was mentioned to you earlier, now that people are occasionally posting panels from it, it's just like, oh my God, no. Because <laughs> I'm up to it for a while, and it's like, really? Can I get a name change on this? No, it's not. Uh, it's, but it's, it's odd. Yeah. That you kind of a lot of people are really surprised when they look at older stuff, if they do look at it, 
many people don't, and to see the development that they actually have, because you're so much in the moment with whatever you're making, you think, oh, this is, this is no good, I've not improved at all, um, and to actually look at it now, I think, oh, yeah, there has been an improvement since. I mean, I still like it, because um, I made it, but, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And so now you're working on the third, or the third. Uh, yes, third one, yeah. Um, which yeah, it's good fun. It's the thing with Daniel's writing is that he's got, he's very good at doing the oh that's really, kind of like quite gratuitously gory, but he's also got a really kind of sharp sense of humour as well. So it's that the stuff that he writes is really, is quite fun. I really enjoy it. Um, because there's no way I could write what he does. Mm -hmm. It's kind of pushing you to try different things. Oh, absolutely. And it's kind of like, oh, let's have a scene with this many people. And it's like, no, please, no. <laughs> Can't we just like have 30 pages of talking heads? It'll be good. But no, it's like, no, we're going to have a really big scene now with loads of people running around doing stuff. And it's like, okay, I'll get this done next year. <laughs> Uh, what else have you been working on more recently? Well, that's um, the, um, I mean, what I've tried to do is, I've tried to combine doing the monster stuff because it takes me so long um, in relative terms with the autobio stuff, which has just been a series of uh, single issues, but continuing mm -hmm. theme, I guess, which is the reminisce stuff. Um, I've also been working, I've, got two what you call partners in crime, one's uh, Daniel and the other's a guy called Douglas Noble who has made tons and tons of comics over the years, it's like, and we, we're at the moment we're working on something else, but we finished a book a couple of years ago I think now called Dark Matters, um, where we tried to collaborate in different ways I guess. And we're doing a similar thing now, uh, which is that um, in Dark Matters, the three stories, and I guess they're what you call urban horror stories. Um, but the first one, he sent me a regular script, and I did it that way. The second one, I sent him a bunch, bunch of images, and he wrote something around it, and then sent me them back, and then I sent them back to him. And we reconfigured this thing that it was like a combination of our both our styles, I suppose, but there was like a third person, and uh, we did a game for the third story, but we're trying something now where, I've, again, I've sent him a bunch of images and a bunch of text, and I have no idea what it's going to do with it, <laughs> so that's quite exciting. <laughs> um, it did, I was tabling with him at Thoughtball the uh, weekend just gone, and I was sort of like, Oh, what's going on with it, Douglas? He's like, oh, I've got my own comments to make. You know, you'll have to wait. Aww. <laughs> no, it's not like that at all. It's he, he said he's doing stuff with it, so I'm taking that as a good thing. Um, but I have no idea what it is. It'd be a surprise to me as it is anybody else. But I think what we're going to do with this one is it's just going to be like a one-off of about I don't know, okay. forty pages or something. So it should be quite interesting. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much. I mean, as usual, when you talk to people, I've got other stuff that is kind of happening or might not be, but yeah. I don't know where, which stage it's at at the moment. It's all a matter so, of time. Yeah, it's kind of um, 
what happens is I make a bunch of stuff through the year to kind of at least have at conventions. And uh, because I've got these things going on, I've been making a lot of sketchbook stuff, which, you know, it's just sketchbook stuff. Um, but we're coming to the end of the season. I've got more, one more gig, which is going to Malta, um, which is in uh, about two weeks' time. Oh, wow. Yeah, which would be nice. But then that's it. I'm not doing any more. I'm not doing any more conventions. That unless sounds I'm like involved. a terrible destination to go to in the winter. Oh, it's awful, yeah. <laughs> terrible. But there's blue skies and it's just like sunshine. It's just like, and it is sunshine. It's amazing. Yeah. That's why you, you kind of like get all these expat Brits just sitting there like sort of leathery old lizards. Go, uh. <laughs> <laughs> they get this thing called, we get this thing called winter fuel allowance. So they just go to places like Spain or Malta and then just use it to survive for like six months and then just come back again. It's supposed to pay for their heating, but it pays for beer. <laughs> <laughs> beer and suntan lotion. They get rid we we stay at this one kind of like place. Um I mean Malta's a, it's a really good thing. They kind of like started out really small. I met them like in two thousand and eight and now they get quite a lot of guests of repute going over there. But you come out in the morning to this hotel and they're all on this kind of like sunspot and if you sit in their chairs, that's it. It's just like You're they're gang up it's like they're living dead. <laughs> well, thank you, Sean, for taking the time your evening to chat with me today yeah thanks robin a reminder folks i've been talking to sean azopardi um unfortunately i'll probably have this posted after malta but if you do if you are in malta i hope you had the chance to make it to the show i don't know if i have any listeners in malta <laughs> i'd like to say i do but i think that's a stretch uh, you can find Sean's work in Necessary Monsters uh, with Book 2 Murder Box out in Book 3. What's Book 3 going to be called? Um, he's still thinking of a title. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's called. No, we, we haven't got a title yet, no. Mm. As well as uh, 12 Hour Shift, uh, Dark Manners, and you can find more at Sean's site. I think it's sean azoparty.co.uk. Is that right? Uh, it's dot com. Oh, it's dot com. There we yeah. go. Look at that. Uh, thank you so much, Sean. I really appreciate this. Thank you, Robin.
Thank <laughs> you.